Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 8, and this can be found on page 1211 in the Church Bibles. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is the word of the Lord. Continue on the same page with verse 9 to the end of the chapter. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods which are of no value to those who eat them, We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead of our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. 
Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We thank you, Lord, for the example of John Bunyan, who wrote that hymn, who remained faithful even though he went to jail for his Christian ministry. And we pray that we would take encouragement from from examples of people like him, and most especially now from your word, that we would be faithful pilgrims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. Do please be seated. And we come today to the magnificent uh, final chapter of a magnificent book, uh, The Letter to the Hebrews. And uh, I think it would help you, it certainly helped me, uh, if you had it open in front of you, page 1211, near the back of the church Bibles. Now, after the long theological chapters earlier in the book, some of which are really quite complicated, Hebrews chapter 13 stands in striking contrast full of practical encouragements about how to live out the Christian life. There are actually, I don't know if you noticed as it was read, 17 imperatives in 25 verses. And we know from the last five weeks that Hebrews was a letter written to a group of Christians who were in danger of giving up. Times were hard. They faced persecution. They were physically assaulted. Their homes were plundered. Some had even been sent to prison for their faith. Now, many accepted this fate joyfully, but others had shrunk back and had given up. So the main aim of this letter is actually urging Christians who are facing tough times to persevere. So just a uh, few quick examples. Chapter 3, verse 6, he says, Hold on to the hope of which we boast. Chapter 4, verse 11, Make every effort to enter that rest. Chapter 4, verse 14, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Chapter 10, verse 25, Let us not give up meeting together. Chapter 10, verse 35, Don't throw away your confidence And last week, chapter 12, verse 1, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And what is going to keep us running that race? Well, it is our goal, looking to Jesus, he says, chapter 12, verse 2, the author and perfecter of our faith. So Hebrews chapters 1 to 12 is focused entirely on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is far greater than any other philosophy and far more wonderful than any other person. And today, in chapter 13 of Hebrews, we look at the consequences for the individual Christian and, more importantly, for the Christian church, for the community, because all these encouragements and all these imperatives are in the plural. They're addressed to the church. So, As we run the Christian race, looking to Jesus, what should our church life look like? Now, rest assured, I do not have 17 points, one for each imperative, but I do have nine. Nine marks of a healthy Christian community from Hebrews chapter 13, and we need to crack on. First, 
The first mark of the healthy Christian community is that we will love one another. Verse 1, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Now you probably know that old dog rule. To dwell above with saints I love, that will be joy and glory. To dwell below with saints I know. Well, that's quite another story. But Christians are called to love each other as brothers and sisters. In fact, we're ordered to do so. In the Gospels, Jesus taught his disciples many things. But only once, I think, did he say, this I command. John chapter 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, in the same sacrificial way that I have loved you, you ought to show the same sacrificial love to one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, the distinctive hallmark of the Christian is our love for each other. So here in chapter 13, verse 1, the first imperative is keep on loving one another. He's not saying you're not doing it already, but keep on. Elsewhere, Paul says to the Thessalonians, love each other more and more. We won't always feel like it, and that's why it's a command. Back in chapter 2, verse 11, we read, read that Jesus was not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. So neither should we be ashamed of one another. Love is not a feeling. It's an act of the will. And a loving Christian community is a foretaste of heaven. I wonder if it could be one reason why our churches aren't growing more is that there is a lack of love in the fellowship. Second hallmark of the healthy Christian community leads on, and that is its care for those in need. Verses 2 and 3. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners. This is love in action. And we have two more imperatives. Do not forget strangers. Remember those in prison. Love in action means seeking out the hurting and those in need. A friendly hello over coffee or a cheery wave across the street, well, that's a good start. But these verses are calling for something much more costly. Opening up our homes to strangers, as Abraham and Sarah did in Genesis chapter 18 and discovered later that they'd played host to an angel. That's what he's referring to here. So who do we invite to Sunday lunch? Is it just family and friends and people we like or people like us? Or maybe the hurting and the lonely, the kind of person who may not be able to return the invitation. It's great that we're having a hospitality weekend in a couple of weekends' time. But actually, every weekend should be hospitality weekend. And it shouldn't need to be driven by the church. It should be something we spontaneously do because we love one another. 
How well do we know each other as a congregation? Who do we talk to over coffee at the end of the service? Are we looking out for, for people who are on their own, people who are hurting, strangers, visitors? Or do we secretly hope that someone else will pick them up? Strangers may come to us, but prisoners need to be sought out. Verse 3, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners. In other words, let's put ourselves in their shoes. And I think the writer is thinking particularly here of Christians who've been imprisoned for their faith. And I've been challenged about how much, or perhaps how little, concern I show for prisoners of conscience, for brothers and sisters oppressed and imprisoned for their faith around the world. It's great that we prayed, as we did just now, for, uh, for Christians being persecuted and indeed for organizations like Christian Solidarity Worldwide and, and others who work with such people. But maybe there's something more we can do than pray. Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me. Oh, really, said his disciples. When did we do that? I don't remember you being in prison, Jesus. Whenever you did, did it for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. We serve Jesus by caring for those in need. The third hallmark of a healthy Christian community is that it will honor marriage and family life. Verse 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Every church wedding begins with these words. Marriage is a gift of God in creation, a holy mystery in, in which man and woman become one flesh. Marriage is God's idea. He thought it up. Genesis chapter 2, if you want to check it out. Sex is God's good gift to men and women. But in the Bible it is given with certain parameters to protect the individual and to protect family life and indeed to protect wider society. So we have the Christian principle of one man for one woman for life in an exclusive relationship. That is the place for sex. And the Bible is very clear that a sexual relationship in any other context is wrong. Premarital sex, even if we love each other, we might even get married one day, perhaps, is wrong. Extramarital sex, the fling, the one-night stand, the long-standing affair, equally wrong. Sex within marriage is beautiful and creative and right. Sex outside marriage is destructive and wrong. Because, verse 4, God will judge not just the adulterer, but all the sexually immoral. So let's work at our marriages. Let's encourage the single. Let's help each other with our struggles, married or single. Let's be open and honest with one another. We can only be open and honest with one another if we love each other and really know each other. And let's encourage each other to be pure, whatever our circumstances. 
Fourth hallmark of the healthy Christian community is contentment, verses 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. There's an interesting progression here from sexual immorality to financial discontent. Because both of those doubt the goodness of God and his generous provision for all our needs. Covetousness lurks in all of us. No matter where we live, no matter how much or how little we earn. Now, this uh, magazine called Belgravia drops through my letterbox on a pretty regular basis. And it offers me all sorts of things. This month, it's offered me a pedicure for £75, the usual houses for gazillions, tickets to garden parties for £100, which makes our garden party that's absolutely free seem like a wonderful deal. And the one that uh, really got me going was the hair treatment, which, and I quote, will make hair look smoother, which is ideal for poolside bathing beauties who don't have time for a daily blow dry. No, I don't. I'm a busy man. (laughs) Only 200 pounds. Now, this may be the kind of thing that gets you coveting. Maybe it's something else, perhaps some magazine that fuels your hobby and fuels your covetous instincts. For me, at one stage, it was a windsurfing magazine. I've moved on to other things now, but covetousness essentially springs from doubt. Does God really care? Is my life in his hands? Will I cope financially? Covetousness springs from doubt. Contentment springs from faith. Faith in the God who promises, verse 5, never to leave us, never to forsake us. Faith in the Lord, verse 6, who is my helper. Brothers and sisters, we have a loving heavenly Father. He knows our needs. He loves us. He has a plan for our lives. And he promises not only that he knows our needs, but he'll meet our needs. So let's trust him. Let's be content. The fifth hallmark of a healthy Christian community is one that will respect those who teach the word and shepherd their souls. And this is verses 7, 17, and 24. We are to remember them, verse 7, especially what they teach us. We're to imitate them, verse 7, because their lives should be an example to us. We're to obey them in verse 17 because they have authority, an authority for which they are accountable to God. And we're to greet them, verse 24. In other words, be warm and loving towards them. Now, this is not, you know, the associate vicar standing up calling for blind allegiance to the autocratic despot that is the clergyman in his funny clothes. Rather, simply, I think, a reflection that a healthy, happy church is one that does support its leaders. And a church that's constantly moaning about its leaders and bickering and trying to undermine them and so on, 
full of party spirit will not be a happy or healthy or growing church. And I think we're called to support our leaders because leadership is often tough and lonely. Leaders need support. Look at what what leaders are called to do. In verse 7, they're called to preach the word. That is the first and most important priority. So as a preacher, I need something more from you at the end of the service than nice sermon vicar, which seems to be the kind of standard fare. So please don't say nice sermon vicar. Something something a bit more um, that suggests that perhaps you've taken on board something. (laughs) That would encourage me. The leaders are meant to set an example in verse 7. They're to shepherd the flock, verse 17. The leaders watch over the flock. And of course, Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep who laid down his life for the sheep. That's what leaders are called to do. Give their lives to their people. It's a high calling. Six, a healthy Christian community will not move away from Christ-centered doctrine. This was the concern of the writer to the Hebrews. He was worried that young Jewish Christians would revert back to Judaism. And he was worried that new and perhaps exciting but false teaching would distract them from the truth. So verse 9, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Rather, they should focus, verse 8, on Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, the same Jesus that the first apostles preached about is the same Jesus that we're preaching about now and will be the same Jesus that we're preaching about till he comes again. Let me just read you what F.F. Bruce says in his commentary about Jesus in the past, the present, and the future. Yesterday, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears to him that was able to save him from death. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. Today, he represents his people in the presence of God, a high priest who is able to sympathize with them in their weakness because he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And forever, Jesus lives, this same Jesus, to make intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. And F.F. Bruce goes on, His help, his grace, his power, his guidance are permanently at his people's disposal. Why then should they lose heart? He never needs to be replaced, and nothing can ever be added to his perfect work. A Christian community will not move away from Christ-centered doctrine. And if we move away from Jesus, we cease to see him as the sufficient sacrifice for sin. This is what verses 10 to 12 is all about. If we move away from Jesus, we shrink from the suffering that will come with identifying with a suffering Savior. That's what he's on about in verse 13. And if we move away from Jesus, we lose an eternal perspective. Verse 14. 
So perhaps we should just do a quick spiritual health check and ask ourselves these three questions. Am I trusting in Jesus' death alone for my salvation? Or do I think it all depends on me and how good I am? Am I willing to, to, to bear the disgrace of the name of Jesus? And third, are my eyes focused on heaven, the enduring city this passage refers to? Don't move away from Christ-centered teaching. Don't be carried away, he says, by strange teaching. Seventh, we're in the home straight here. A healthy Christian community will be characterized by sacrifices of both praise and good works. This is verses 15 and 16. When we talk about Christian worship, we often think about hymns and bands and guitars and organs and little red hymn books. And it includes that. Worship is praise. So Psalm 100 says, Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with songs of joy. Yes, worship is praise. But, do you notice, worship also includes service. Verse 16, Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. In Romans, Paul talks about offering our bodies as living sacrifices and says, This is your spiritual worship. So at the beginning of a service, we we say, let's stand to worship. But actually, what we should also be saying at the end of the service is, let's go out to worship with our lives. Christian worship involves both lips and lives. As the general thanksgiving puts it, we set forth your praise not only with our lips, but in our lives by giving up ourselves to your service. The eighth hallmark of the healthy Christian community is one that prays for its leaders. Verse 18, pray for us. If we want to see power and life in the church, we must pray. If we want preaching that is more than rhetoric or exegesis, we must pray. If we want leaders who will shepherd the flock, who will lay down their lives for the sheep, then we must pray. Jesus was not ashamed to ask his disciples to pray for them. Paul, regularly in his letters, asked the churches to pray for him. Can I ask you, brothers and sisters, to pray for us? Please pray for me. Please know that I am simply a sinner saved by grace and I need your prayers and you need my prayers. Please use the prayer diary. Charles is flagging it up. I think it might be actually inside every service sheet. Please take it and use it. It's also available online on the church website. Please come to the church prayer meeting on Tuesday. We talk about prayer being important, but let's gather together to pray. The ninth and final hallmark of the healthy Christian community is that it will look to Jesus as the great shepherd to help them. This is verses 20 and 21. And the letter to the Hebrews ends with this great doxology. Some of the best known verses in the whole book. 
Now, you might think that with all the exhortations and all the imperatives of chapter 13, well, we could end up feeling really rather weak. There's an awful lot for me to do here. You know, I've got to love people. I've got to open my home. I've got to visit prisoners. I've got to look after my wife. I've got to, you know, not worry about their hairdo. And, you know, lots of things I need to do. Well, true, but this prayer reminds us that the God who raised Jesus from the dead, who has all authority in heaven on earth, that power, the God who did that, is the same God who equips us and who works in us. And he can change us. So it's not just over to you or over to me. It's thank you, God that you're the God who equips and works in my heart. So I can't think of a better way to finish this talk than just to pray that last prayer together. So would you like to have Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21 in front of you? Page 1212, if it's accidentally shut whilst I've been preaching. And let's pray verses 20 and 21. One, for ourselves and indeed for each other. Let's pray. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen.